I think we all know what it's like to feel like we're surviving, just like the trailer introduced us to the topic here. Instead, God wants us to thrive and live out his fruit of the spirit. But it is hard to, to live that way, to thrive every, you know, every day and every season of life that you're in. It's been a good week, though. It was good to be back at the fair this week. It was good to see the community coming together. Um, we, we hosted uh, the Access Conference here at our church that we've been talking about the last month or so. And uh, I want to say thank you to all of you who came out and volunteered to help put that on. It was, it was tremendous. It was great to see uh, everybody together. It had been a couple years since our pastors and missionaries and families could all be together. And I'm excited about the future of our family uh, of churches. And we heard over and over again from the people that were here just how much they appreciated you, how much they appreciated our church hosting, and, uh, and just the good work that you guys did. So thanks so much for all of you guys uh, uh, doing that. You know, I'm listening, I'm listening to the songs, the worship this morning, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm weeping. Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, is going off to college in about 10 days, and this is the closest I'm ever going to be to feeling pregnant, where I just cry for no reason. I just am crying, and I'm thinking about it, and, and just kind of going through that. And so, you know, if you're here today and you're pregnant, like, I'm, I, I feel you. I'm with you. Um, I know it. I know, I don't know what that's like, but I do know what that's like to, to, to live with uh, a wife who is pregnant, and I remember those days. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. You know, I've learned a lot. Tara and I have learned a lot about each other in the last you know, 22 years that we've been married. Um, the approach that you take with someone uh, makes all the difference in the world in how successful you are, right? Um, and, and I think if we learned that, if we learn to, to, to work on our approach with people, um, our relationships would just go so much better. Relationships sometimes even crumble and fall apart. Friendships do. Because we take the wrong approach when we're talking to people, or when we're I- involved with people. And uh, this is a truth I didn't understand when I first got married. And I remember our first Christmas together, Tara and I, 22 years ago, I remember our first Christmas. Um, I was excited for Christmas. Tara is awesome at the holidays. And Tara is just a fantastic person. If you've gotten to know her, you, you know that. And you're like, why did you marry him? You know, and um, I get asked that all the time. Like, why did she marry you? Um, and so she's a pretty fantastic person. And one of the things that's great about Tara, she's really thoughtful. Like she's really good at, you know, giving gifts, um, thinking about another person, what they would really appreciate or what they would make them feel loved. And she, she just does amazing at it. So our first Christmas together, I was still learning like this. And, and Tara's awesome. And I'm not like a natural gift giver. That's not my natural love language. And so I wasn't awesome. And uh, anyway, I was excited, though. We were getting close to Christmas, and I had gotten her a gift, and I thought, you know, she'll like this. I can't remember what it was. I'm sure it was like a vacuum cleaner or something. No, I'm kidding. But I don't remember what it was. It was something amazing. And uh, I was excited to give it to her. But anyway, the day of the two days before Christmas, we're getting ready to exchange gifts. And uh, we're going to go and visit. We're going to travel and visit family for Christmas. So it's a little early. And, uh, and I noticed that my stocking is like full. And I'm like, uh, like, babe, like, what's in my stocking, you know? And she's like, oh, I got you some other stuff, some stocking stuffers, she says. Our family didn't grow up, you know, giving each other stocking stuffers. And, and, um, and so I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm smart enough to know that I should probably get some things for her stocking. I, like, I knew that much. But I wasn't, like, smart enough to really think about what I got her. And so I run down to the store, the closest, like, store that was to our house. And I literally go up. I'm like, okay, like a stocking. It's small. These need to be small gifts. So I go to like the 
cashier's line there, and I just like, okay, there's like some Doritos, and there's like a bag, you know, uh, of, uh, you know, or some, some, some candy, you know, and then put that in there, and, oh, and there's like some corn nuts, and I put those in as well, and I buy these things, and I put them in her uh, stocking. Now, like, corn nuts would be an amazing gift for some people. There are probably some people, you know, who, who, had, who had sat on Santa's lap that December and, you know, had said, oh, if there's just anything that I would just love to open up on Christmas morning, Santa, it's the flavorful, you know, sodium-rich goodness of corn nuts. But Tara hadn't done that. She, she hadn't asked for that. And so she wasn't too impressed, you know, that, uh, that when we exchange gifts that, you know, when she gets together with her, her girlfriends later that night, she's like, oh, what'd your husband get you? She's like, ooh, let me tell you what, what my man got me. He went way over the top this year and uh, got me some corn nuts. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, so that happens. And then, you know, uh, uh, the next day we go home, we, go, we travel home to where we grew up to, to visit our family. And one of the reasons we were doing that is I had to close out a, a bank account that I'd had as a young adult where, you know, I kept all my, my money and stuff and because we were combining all of our finances getting married. And so we go to the bank, we close it out and they give me this cashier's check. And we're like young and poor and, and, uh, and, and we don't um, uh, have a lot. And so this cashier's, this check like represents like 80% of all the money that we have, you know, in the world to our name. I stick it inside my jacket pocket and then we kind of are visiting friends that day all day long. We're bouncing around to friends' houses that we hadn't seen in a bit since we got married and family or whatever. And then we're going to spend the night at Tara's grandparents. And uh, her parents are there and uh, her brother is there, her uncle's there, that kind of thing. And, and, and so even though like we're the newly married couple, we're still the grandkids. So we sleep in the living room on the air mattress. And Tara's brother um, sleeps like 18 inches from my head on the couch. And, uh, and so as we're getting ready for bed, uh, getting ready to get, to get, to get into, on, into the air mattress, onto the air mattress or whatever and get for bed, Tara's like, hey, why don't you give me that check? Let me put it in my purse, let me make sure we don't lose it. So I go to my coat, I look inside the pocket, it's not there. It had gone missing somewhere throughout the day. And I'm like, oh man. So I, get t- so I tell him like, honey, like, I don't know where the check is. It's not, it's not here. Tara is like a really good trooper, you know, for the most part about the corn nuts and everything. Um, and, but now I've lost this, this, this check, like, like most of our money. And she like didn't say much, um, but it was one of those moments like where her look said everything. Um, and she, she, she communicated amazingly what she wanted to communicate. And I heard loud and clear, like, John, like you will be staying on your side of the air mattress tonight. Um, very, you know, very, very clearly. She was very clear with that. And so we go to sleep. It's Christmas Eve, our very first Christmas Eve together. We go to sleep. <laughs> and her brother is like snoring like a madman. Like seriously, 18 is from my face. And I can't sleep. And about 2 a.m. I kind of ro- wake up and I realize I'm, I'm lying on the floor. Like the air mattress is flat. And so that was like a perfect ending to this Christmas Eve, Right. Thankfully, I wake up, we wake up, and Tara loves Christmas, and she's forgiving, and she's gracious, and, like, everything's mostly okay. And then it got better, it got even better, like, really early in the morning. My friend calls and says, hey, John, like, when you came and visited yesterday, you must have lost this really big check. Like, do you need this? Yes, I need that. 
I will come to your house right now. I know it's Christmas morning. Put something on, you know. And, uh, and so I came. We got the check. And everything, you know, was fantastic in the world. I didn't approach that very first Christmas together really great. I didn't put a lot of thought into how Tara was going to, you know, feel and how I could make her feel treasured and loved and, and special. And your approach that you take with people um, is going to determine how successful you are. And that's the lesson I'm still learning. You know, I, I've definitely, I definitely, hopefully she would say, have to do better um, at things now a little bit, you know, after this time. But it's still a lesson that I'm learning like yourself. I mean, we've been, we've been you know, going pretty hard this summer and uh, we're in the process of moving and just have a lot of things going on. And, and so, I mean, I've been, you know, working hard here at church and then doing a lot of things in the evening and pretty tired. And last weekend, man, my, my poor youngest daughter, Emery, was doing something that she wasn't supposed to do and she needed to be redirected, but I just went off on her and had to apologize, you know, to her and to my boys um, for the way that, that I had acted. She needed to be instructed or, and redirected, but my approach was terrible. It was all wrong. It was not the right way to do it. And so this is a lesson that I am still learning. I don't know if you are too. Have you ever busted a relationship because of your approach to people? Have you ever broken uh, maybe a, a relationship at work or at home because of how you, how you treated them, the, the, the approach that you took? Or, or are you even a person who kind of leaves a trail of hurting people behind you because of your attitude, because of the way you talk to people, because of the tone that you typically take? Jesus offers us a different way. Jesus offers us another way to, to live. Jesus shows us an alternative way to our society because here's something you and I have to understand. Our society is obsessed with being aggressive, okay? The culture is obsessed with being aggressive. You just look at the way that people treat each other. Uh, they come after each other over very little things, just very little understanding and grace in our world today. We're taught to take what you want, to, to look out for your interests. If you want something, you take it, you go for it. We're taught to even intimidate others with our actions, with our words, with the way that we enter, you know, the situation or the room to make sure that people know we're in charge, that, that we're tough, that you're not going to take advantage of me. And that shouldn't really surprise us at all. When we think about the culture, when we think about the world, we shouldn't be surprised by that, to see that in media or to see that in relationships outside of the church or to see that in politics or whatever even. But it should surprise us when the people of Jesus allow that attitude, that aggressiveness to creep into the church. That should surprise us because Jesus teaches us differently. Over the last year and a half, we've all been so frustrated with so many things trying to figure out in our world that are changing, that aren't the same anymore, that are so different. And sometimes it's brought out the worst in us. It's brought out just a really horrible attitude. And we've said some things, terrible things to each other in person, on social media. We've said horrible things about other people, people that we haven't even met before. And Jesus tells us there's a different way to live. And so as we talk this morning about gentleness, which is a fruit of the spirit, which is when we yield 
oh, there he is. Oh, well, he's over there. When we yield to the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits that comes out of us is gentleness. That should actually be a mark of our lives that we have a gentleness about us. We can live differently. And the thing about Jesus, he was truthful. He was direct. He said what he wanted to say, but he did it in a way where he didn't repel people. He did it in a way where people knew, despite what he was saying to them and how difficult it was for them to hear what he was saying, they knew that he still cared about them. And that's what gentleness looks like. Gentleness is saying the truth, but it's saying it in a way that shows this person, I still care about you. And so here's what we need to understand. Truth and gentleness can exist together. Sometimes we think that if we're going to say something, we need to say it strong in such a way that they know we mean it, but we don't care what they think about us. We don't care if they feel loved or cared for or heard. Sometimes we're just kind of checking stuff off the list. We're going we're gonna to take a strong stand. We're going to win this argument. But we don't really think about the other person. That was what was wrong in my approach to that very first Christmas that Tara and I were together. I had thought about her. I was just checking off something to say I did the right thing. I want you to turn to a story in the Gospels in Luke chapter 7. It's one of my favorite stories about Jesus because it shows such a gentle side of him. Jesus was the guy who, who, who would spend time with the children. And in fact, his own disciples would say to him, you need to leave him alone. Like he's busy with important people. He's busy with important people. And, and Jesus would say, no, no, no. Like these are important people. I've always loved being around children. You guys know that I, I was a children's pastor here for 11 years before I became the family pastor. And now as Tannen's transitioning to Elkhart, I'm getting back into some of the kids' ministries in a more direct way. And I'm excited about it. Once in a while, people will come up to me and I think you guys mean it as a compliment, but you'll say, John, like, have you ever thought about being a real pastor? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, well, you're, like, you're, you're, like, you're really good at some other things. Like, you should, you should think about that. I've always thought children's ministry was the highest calling. To, to pour into the next generation, to, to spend time with parents and, and volunteers and kids, it's just a blessing. Jesus was that kind of person. He, he would spend time with, with, with children. And I love how his gentle side would come out. One of the most uh, frozen moments in my history that I can remember happened when I was an intern at a church in Michigan City, Indiana. I, I was from Pennsylvania, but I happened to get this internship out here in Indiana. And I needed, I needed to do it to graduate from uh, uh, from. Uh, the university that I was at for ministry. And, um, and I don't remember one of my Sundays there over that summer, <clears throat> there was this fantastic older couple. Uh, and, and the gentleman was a, was a CEO of some huge company. He was in his 60s, very successful businessman, um, you know, very well-to-do, they, you know, just super, super, uh, you know, dressed up. And, and the way that he carried himself, you could tell that he was a successful man. We had this uh, preschooler, that was just really having a tough day and just was 
kind of out of, out of control, had, had lost control of himself and, and was just really struggling and having a bad time and was underneath the table holding on to something or doing something. I can't remember what it was, but he was, was kind of screaming. And I saw this man who, who was volunteering in preschool ministry get down on his hands and knees and, and, and look under the table and talk to this little boy. And he talked in such a slow, calm, gentle approach. He looked so much like Jesus in that moment. And I'll never forget that. And it's always stuck with me that gentleness and power, gentleness and respect, gentleness and truth can, can all exist together. Jesus shows us that here in Luke chapter 7. I want to look at this story here. It doesn't have to do with children. It has to do with a woman who needs Jesus. Would you guys stand and read this with me? Um, if you're new to grace, we stand up, we read God's word together today. We do it just to remind ourselves that it's our authority, that it's in charge of us. And so we kind of honor it that way. So if you're able to, Luke chapter 7, if you're not, that's okay too. Luke 7, 11 to 17, we'll read uh, together. Would you read it with me? Here we go. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the bier they were carrying him on. And on the bear, and the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I messed you up. Let's try that again. And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. You can have a seat. Thanks. Perhaps one of the worst feelings that you can feel in life is to feel unnoticed. Have you ever felt unnoticed? Like people didn't appreciate all that you were doing to maybe hold your family together, all the weight that you carry in the office or on the assembly line or wherever you work, and you feel like it just keeps getting piled on more and nobody understands that you're already doing your maximum? Have you ever felt unnoticed as mom or as a dad or or as a friend, like you're carrying this friendship along and nobody notices you. It's so good to see that Jesus sees us. Jesus sees us. He saw this lady. One of the worst feelings is to feel unnoticed. I came across this article several years ago. It just still breaks my heart. It was a 64-year-old woman. Her decomposed body was found in her dilapidated Houston home. It was discovered frozen to death for five months. She had been forgotten all winter and all spring by her neighbors and her family. Neighbors described her to the paper in Houston as someone who didn't have anything to do with anybody and nobody had anything to do with her. Jesus saw people. And today, if you feel unnoticed or unseen, I want you to know that Jesus sees you. 
He sees you and he loves you. Jesus always saw people. I, I, I get reminded of that every time I read these gospels. Every time I read the four gospels that talk about Jesus' life, I, I feel like I see over and over this phrase that Jesus saw or, or Jesus looked. In fact, over 50 times in the gospels, that phrase is there. 50 times, over 50, Jesus saw somebody. Jesus looked. Jesus saw. And, and Jesus was so good at seeing people. People felt seen around him. As we go to this story here, we, let's understand the context. So if you look at the first verse we read, verse 11, it says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. His disciples and a, what's the next word? Large, a large crowd went along with him. Well, why was there a large crowd with Jesus? And it, the first two words say soon afterwards. Soon afterward, what? The first 10 verses of Luke 7, Jesus does this amazing miracle. This Roman uh, uh, leader comes to him and has a, has a servant who is deathly ill. And Jesus is able to heal this man, this servant, without even being there. When you think about a faith healer or something, you think about somebody who has to go into the room, who's going to make this big show, he's going to kind of lay hands or whatever. Jesus heals this guy without even seeing him or being around him. And so news about Jesus is spreading. The, the power that he has, the miracles that he can do, and now there is a large crowd that is following Jesus. They're excited to be around him. They're excited to, to see him do more miracles. They're, they're asking him for things. God, would you heal you know, my uncle? Jesus, would you bless my farm? Jesus, would you do this? And they're asking him for all kinds of stuff. There's this huge crowd. It says a large crowd that is going with. And there's lots of important people who want and demand are demanding his attention, no doubt. And as Jesus and this large crowd are coming along in verse 11, they come to this town called Nain. Now, Nain was a really small town, a little village, actually. Probably less than 500 people lived there. And there's a crowd that's coming from that direction as well. Verse 12, it says, uh, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And so the author, Luke, kind of gives us some details. As this one crowd with Jesus is coming and approaching the town gate, as they're meeting on this, what would be a really small road. I mean, it's not a highway. It, it's, it's a small village road that you would walk there's one large crowd, probably estimated maybe a thousand people, possibly with Jesus. And then this village group is coming, this funeral procession is coming out of town and they're meeting. The cemetery is located outside the city gates. See, funerals were often held. Let me give you a little details. Funerals were often held the day a person passed away. Because a decomposed body in that hot climate very quickly would decompose. And, and so they often happen the same day. Also in the Jewish law, uh, you, a house would be uncleaned if uh, a dead body was in it for too long. And so funerals would often happen the very same day. The body was normally washed, wrapped in a, a linen cloth, and then carried to a burial place on a wooden stretcher. The text here calls it a beer, but a, a wooden stretcher is what it is. Only royalty would be 
buried inside the city limits. Like everyone else would be kind of taken to this, out, this cemetery that's outside the community. In fact, to this day, scholars say that there is a small um, cemetery of rock tombs about a 10-minute walk from the village of Nain in Israel, probably where they were going with this young man. But we learn from the details here that this is just not any funeral procession, that a woman's son had died and it was her only son, right? And then we learn not only did her only son die, but we learned something else about her. It says that she was already a widow. So tragedy upon tragedies has fallen on this woman. And imagine since Nain was such a small town, less than 500 people, all, all the village was probably here because they knew this young guy. They, they had seen him grow up with their kids. In, in a village of 500 people, you certainly know everybody. And, and, and maybe their kids had played with him when he was a young man or they knew this woman, they, they knew her situation, they knew her life story. And so they felt her pain, they felt her sorrow. They were excited maybe that uh, his mom would have had him to help her as she got older since she was a widow and now that wasn't going to happen. She had survived her husband, was dying and that already put her in a difficult situation. In the culture that she lived in, she could not inherit her husband's land. It had to go to her son and now he had passed away. She could only remain in her husband's family if a next of kin would take her in marriage. And so more often, the widow was without any real financial support, which is why the New Testament gives us clear instructions to care for widows because that's who God cares for. But I want you to remember this scene. The, these two very different crowds. One is excited, right? Jesus' crowd, a thousand or so people are there, hundreds of people at least. A large crowd's following with him. And Jesus had done, just done this amazing miracle. So they're like the group that's excited, ecstatic. Our team, we just won. We're going to the trip, right? They're excited about life. Jesus, my, my friend is sick. Jesus, I need a house. Jesus, heal my uncle. And so they're probably a little ruckus as they approach the, the town of Nain. There's this awkward confrontation of these two crowds because the other crowd isn't raucous at all. There's mourning, there's, there's noise, it's probably loud, but it's not cheering. One of their town's sons has lost his life. On one crowd, there's people pressing in, asking Jesus for help. In the other crowd, there's friends who are consoling a widow and offering help. In the midst of all this chaos around Jesus, he does not lose his head. He doesn't lose his mission. He isn't distracted by people trying to make him famous. He isn't distracted by people trying to build him up. He remembers that he came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to this world to serve. And despite all the things that were changing in his life where he's becoming famous and stuff was definitely changing in his life, he doesn't lose what his mission is. And, and I wanna remind us of that today, that we cannot lose our mission. Even though things are different in our world, 
we still have the same mission. The same mission that Jesus had to serve. My life is not about me. Your life is not about you. We are here on this earth until Jesus takes us to heaven to serve, to serve others. And he sees this lady. In, in the midst of everything that was going around, his loving, hope-filled eyes see this hopeless, hurting woman. In a very real, real way, this situation occurs every day in our lives. Two very different crowds of people we run into. We, can, we, we, we interact with people who are on, you know, on, on, on cloud nine, who are so excited about what's going on in their life. Right, one guy's saying, yeah, I got a date. And then we're with somebody else, another friend who's like, I can never get a date, right? One guy's like, yeah, or one lady, I got the promotion I wanted. That's awesome. I just lost my job, right? One person says, man, our team, they're winners. The other person says, our team, we root for Ohio State. It's the opposite. They're in front of us every single day. Said, there's one thing that, approach, that, that, that unites us, no matter who we root for, nobody roots for Ohio State. <laughs> I'm kidding, I, I know you're out there. Please not yell that out. But in front of us every day, there's this crossroads. You, you and I don't understand the people that we run into. We don't know their stories. We don't know the brokenness that exists in their lives unless we take time to see them and to understand like Jesus does. What was Jesus' approach? Let's keep going. Verse 13, what does he do? This is a powerful verse. I would underline this, guys, in your Bibles because there, there's just so much here in this very short verse, and I'll unpack it in a little bit. It says, when the Lord, what's that word? Saw her. His heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. The first thing that Jesus does is he sees this woman. In the middle of his busyness, he still somehow was looking for those who were hurting and he sees her. Can you imagine the eyes of this broken hurting woman as she looks up and she catches the eye of God's son. Can you imagine the pain that she was feeling at that moment? This was the day her son had died. And people are no different today than this one was 2,000 years ago. People are people. And Jesus needs, Jesus looked past all that was going on around him and was able to see her for who she was. And people today need us to see past the false fronts they put up. They need us to see past their worldviews that may be very different than ours or how God would set aside or set up a worldview. They need us to see past all of the, the warts on the outside to really see them. Your approach to people makes all the difference in the world at how successful you are. And we need to define success. Remember, success is when you win the person, not just the conversation. 
We're not trying to win arguments. We're not trying to win battles. We're not trying to win conversations. We're trying to win people. People need Jesus. And people see Jesus when we love them. After Jesus sees this woman, the scripture says his heart went out to her. That Greek word there where it describes his heart going out to her is the strongest word there is in the Greek uh, uh, vocabulary for sympathy. He sympathized with where she was at in life. He, he felt her pain. He didn't just see her and then say, okay, I got a solution for you. He saw her and he gave her the time to feel her pain. His heart went out to her. That's a really remarkable thing for God to be moved by a person. In fact, the, the Stoics, an ancient group of philosophers, believed that the, the, the biggest number one character trait of God was that he was apathetic, that he, that he didn't feel and their thinking was this. They thought if, if a person can be influenced by another person, if, if someone else can make me sad or happy or joyful or discouraged, then, then you're under, for the moment, you're at least under that person's influence. And since God can't be influenced by another person, they believed that God didn't have feelings. But Jesus blows that away. Over and over and over in the Gospels, we see how God is moved with compassion and love and anger. He absolutely has those character traits. And, and, and let me remind you today that, it, that God sees you and his heart is moved towards you. And that's an amazing thing. To think that God is moved by my personal situation God sees me in my frustration today or my pain today or my loneliness today or whatever it is that you're feeling, God not only sees you, but he is moved by it. He's moved with compassion towards you. Verse 14, Jesus, it says, went up. And it says he touched the beer. He touched the stretcher that they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. What Jesus does here is truly amazing. He was gaining all this popularity for all the power, for all the miracles that he was showing, all the power he was showing. And he's there with this huge raucous crowd that's chanting his name and cheering him on. And he walks up and he simply touches the stretcher that the, the boy's body was on, the young man's body was on. That's all he does. And what's really amazing is that the pallbearers stop. They stand still. You can imagine how quiet the, the crowds got. There's no movement. When you're by yourself, silence is peaceful. It's, it's amazing to have it. But when you're in a large crowd of people, silence has the opposite effect. It's actually very tense. When there's absolute silence, 
in a large crowd. Because everybody is sitting there wondering what's going to happen next. And that's what's happening here. It, it's so tense. This is the day this woman's son had died. You can only imagine the shock, the grief that she's still feeling at this moment. Jesus walks up and he touches the stretcher. And then he simply says, young man, get up. In the morning when it's time for my boys to get up and I say, young man, get up. Usually nothing happens. There's no movement. If I say, young woman, to my daughters, get up, there's no movement. There's not even a breath. It's very normal for my words to get zero response. But when Jesus speaks to creation, it has to respond. Jesus' words flung planets in this place. Jesus' words carved out where the ocean and the dry land would meet. And so when Jesus speaks to this lifeless body, it has to get up. It has to respond. And the boy sits up and he speaks and Jesus gives him back to his mom. Jesus' response to this situation was so tender, so gentle, yet he was so powerful and so strong at the very same time. And that's what, through the Holy Spirit, you and I can be as well. If Jesus had a PR coach today, that person would have been going nuts right now. They, they would have said, Jesus, what are you doing? You don't just quietly bring someone back to life. You stop the large crowd with your hands. You make sure everybody sees that you're about to do something awesome. You, you kind of swing your arms around and, and you change your voice and, and, and you get into this sort of God voice. You get all dramatic. And then Jesus, you got to post about it. If you don't take a picture, it did not happen, Jesus. You got to make sure everybody knows about what you're doing. Jesus quietly touches the coffin. And don't miss this. People with less power tend to overstate it. People with real power tend to understate it. We live in a world of people overstating their power. Yelling, screaming, being so strong, and repelling each other. Jesus shows us a different way. I think as a society, we've fallen into this trap of overstating and slamming doors and typing in all caps. But Jesus shows us a way of love. Truth, strength can't exist with gentleness. We can do both. And we need to be strong and we need to be truthful. But your approach that you take with someone changes everything and how successful you are. And success isn't winning the conversation, it's winning the person. The craziness of this last year and a half probably isn't over. 
And even if it is, do you know what? More craziness will come. And do you know when that's over, what's going to happen? More craziness will come. That's the world that we live in. We live in a broken world. And we can't lose our heads. It is too important. Jesus has you and I here to reach people with God's love. We must keep our heads. We must keep our mission to love people in spite of the chaos that's around us, in spite of the way that other people treat other people, in spite of the way that other people even treat us. We can be different. As followers of Jesus Christ, we can surrender our hearts to the Holy Spirit and he will bring gentleness out of us. It will happen. People need Jesus. And they will hear what we have to say when they know that we love them. You've heard this before, but it's so true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know about truth unless they know how much you care. Then people will listen. And so what does Jesus do here in this passage that we can apply to our lives? Three things. Three things as you yield to the Holy Spirit, he can produce this fruit of gentleness in your life the same way. Number one, our eyes must see. Our eyes must see. We can't just put our head down and do our job. We can't just put, put our head down and kind of get to work, do my job, get back into my house and be safe. That's not the way that Jesus wants us to live. We can't just put our heads down and ignore the, the people around us. Your life is not about you. My life's not about me. You might be a welder, but that's not who you are. You might be in sales, but that's not who you are. That might be your job, but you have a mission from Jesus to love people. You might be a teacher, but those students aren't just your students. That's your mission field. That's who you're called to reach. Your coworkers, your family, your friends. We need to have our eyes open to the people around us. Number two, our hearts must feel. Not only must our eyes see, but our hearts must feel. Just because we see someone's need and, and, and then we don't feel their pain, our solutions don't really help them. They don't want our solutions unless we take the time to feel. Our hearts need to go out to people. And I'll tell you what, we would, we would be so less judgmental of people if we understood their stories. If we understood where they're coming from, if we understood that they maybe have lived a different life than we lived, that they didn't grow up in the same home that we did with the same opportunities that we had or whatever else is different about us, it might be a little different. And maybe you'd be different if you grew up in their shoes. We need to understand. Our hearts need to go out. Our hearts must feel, our eyes must see, our hearts must feel. And then number three, our hands must act. Our hands must act. We have to respond. And not only are those three things important, but they're important that we do in the same order that Jesus did. If, if we don't see and then we just try to feel and help, well, we might not even know what the problem is. We're really good at offering the wrong solution because we don't know what the problem is. Our eyes must see first. And then if we see and then we offer a solution without feeling, well, then we're cold. We're heartless. We'll just do this. People don't want solutions unless you feel their pain. But if we see and we feel, but then we don't act, 
Well, that might be the worst of all. The Bible says, if you have the opportunity to do good and you don't do it, it says it's sin. We can do good in our world. Our eyes must see, our hearts must feel, our hands must act. All three are critical and it's understanding how to do them and what the moment calls for. Listen, our world needs Jesus. Our community needs Jesus. Our community is so, so divided. Our world is so, so divided. They are looking to us to show them another way of living. The Bible in 1 Timothy says that the church is the pillar of truth. We're the ones who, who show another way, who live differently, who don't fit in with the culture, who don't fit in with the way our coworkers maybe treat each other or talk about each other. We don't do that, we're different. We're not gonna let that aggressive, angry mindset creep into the church. Our world needs Jesus. We have his love to give them because of how much he loves us. Jesus sees you today if you're hurting. As we close this service, I want you to think about what would happen if, what would happen if we would reach across our driveways and our yards? What would happen if we reached across our assembly lines and our counter, our checkout counters? What would happen if we reached out across our computer screens and our smartphones and we loved people? We loved people. What if we reached across even cultural differences that exist, or political differences that exist, or worldview differences that exist to love the other person? Truth can still come out and gentleness at the same time. First Peter says that we should be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks, but it says, but do it with gentleness and respect. That's what the apostles learned in the New Testament was the approach that Christ wanted. We can just love people in the name of Jesus. And listen, I know everyone won't love us back, but here's the thing, Jesus already loves us completely. And so we don't love people so they love us back. He already does. He loved us when we were unlovable and he allows us to do the same thing. Our eyes must see, our hearts must feel, our hands must act. I'll say it one more time. Your approach to people changes everything and how successful you are. But success isn't winning the conversation, it's winning the person. As we sing this chorus, as these guys are playing and singing, I want you just to sit here Put your notes away for a moment. Put your, your Bibles away for a moment. And I want you to offer God your heart. Say, Holy Spirit, I want to keep in step with you, Holy Spirit. I want to lean into you. Would you please help me to love people, to see people the way that you do? Would you ask him that? Would you pray that right now?
everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into eternity, guys, stand and sing this with me. we need to see people we need to understand we need to love the way that you've loved us as we go through summer and begin to get into the routine of school here in a week or so and things start to go back to more of a, a schedule Lord I God I pray that this would be a different year God I pray that you would fill us with your compassion Lord, people in our church are facing some real challenges right now. And I pray that they would see or feel your eyes on them, your sympathy for them. I pray they would feel lifted up and loved, not only by you, but by our community right here, our church. God, would you allow us to be known as a church who loves people? If there are people who are far from you, Lord, would you bring them to us? We'll tell them the truth. We'll show them a different way. But, but Lord, we want to do it with love, with gentleness, and with respect. Our world needs you, God. The time may be short. So help us to live on mission. There's a world right outside every day that we're driving by. There's a world right outside our, our, our house windows as we have neighbors that need you. Lord, we need to be on mission. So we say we are, that we love you and we love people. Help us to do that. In your name I pray, amen.